Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Will you just thank him for a moment? Thank him right now for exchanging burdens with you. Yeah, go ahead. The psalmist says, come let us, come let us shout praises to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence with singing and praises. Lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because he's God. He's the best. He's the king over all gods. We thank you, Father. We thank you for today. And I want to thank you for that exchange of pain in hearts, disappointment in hearts, brokenness in heart. I thank you for the great exchange that occurred to all those that responded to you. I thank you for the exchange that you bore every sickness and every pain, physically and emotionally, and carried it away from us. For with your stripes and your wounds, we are very healed, very well, very whole. We are, we are, we are very well, very healed, very whole. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Surely you have. Surely you have. You've borne and carried away our griefs and our sorrows. And with your stripes, we are healed. We are healed. Tell your neighbor, squeeze their hand, say, I'm healed from that broken emotion. I'm healed from that. I can go on. I'm healed from that thing. I'm healed from that thing. Amen? Amen. Go hug somebody. Tell them God loves you big. Hug them, will you? Hug them. I'll hug you. I don't know about you guys, but it's been a rough week for me, just letting you know. Um, uh, got some news, wasn't too good, wasn't too favorable. And the only way you can get through things like that is hope in God. His word is true. His word is right. And he, his word and the experience of him is the only thing, is the only thing that will give me hope, that will anchor and settle my soul. And so this, whatever, whatever it is, however big or we believe insurmountable, God's the answer. Jesus Christ, experiential life with him. When... Uh, 
a few weeks ago, um, Resurrection Sunday. It was it was that day, and uh, uh, there was a the way we do things, the way God kind of moves through here. There was this high praise, and people were just exalting Him, celebrating Him, and this phrase came out. There's an empty cross. There's an empty cross. And it just lit up in me. I have never had that concept. The empty cross. And what does that mean? So, I asked the Lord. The empty cross, while he was, while he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And it took me to that place where I said, well, what does that mean? What's finished? Did he just die? And it was it? No longer? It's finished. No. (laughs) I started looking at the word. And let me tell you what. The revelation that came to me was huge. It changed my way of thinking. It changed my the way I live and the way I approach God. I was uh, talking to a guy uh, in Dallas, and then I, I called another guy in Florida, and I was telling him my revelation. And what I realized what I was doing was I started talking, and I didn't stop till like an hour. And... <laughs> They didn't say a word. And so afterwards, I said, what do you think? And he said, well, you're definitely passionate about this. <laughs> I said, I am. I am because I believe there's a revelation here that will bring freedom to our lives. The empty cross. The struggle with sin is a strategy of the devil. It's a strategy. If he can make you focus not on what the cross did, but what the cross shows you of sin that is in you, and you focus constantly on that, he's got you defeated. Because all you do is go, I'm a terrible person. I can't get rid of this stuff. But what came next? It was the glory and the power of the resurrection. And in that, we have power to defeat the devil. I'm telling you, when Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, he says, I have victory over sin. It's a done deal. It's finished. No longer to be repeated. But the resurrection brought power over death. The power over death is the ultimate. If he can defeat death, there's no other thing that can come against us. We live in life. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6.
I looked up in John 19, John 19:30. It says, "It is finished." In the Greek, the word "finished" means it. It's called te, te, te lejo. I have the Spanish accent. It's not, it's not Greek. It's like the lejo. <laughs> I couldn't do it any other way. <laughs> but you know, you know what it is finished means in the Greek? Finished. Done. To end. It is complete. It is concluded. It is the discharge of a debt. It is the discharge of a debt. I work at a credit union as a loan officer. And the people that come in and pay, make that last payment, you know what? They don't have to worry about us anymore. The debt's been paid. It's no longer. The debt's been paid. I don't have to pay any more debt of my sin because sin obligates me. But when he paid the price... The discharge of that debt is no longer. And I've got to live on the other side of that cross. I have to live on the other side of my debt already being paid. I talked to Jimmy one day, and uh, we were talking about past sin. And Jimmy just looked at me and said, I don't ask for forgiveness of past sins. They're done. They're already forgiven. Why am I I talking about this? Why am I talking about this prayer in in prayer, wasting my time going, oh, forgive me for this? He did it. It's already done. He's forgiven you. Can can you buy that? Can Can you feel that? Can you experience the cross of that? And I'll tell you, it's just, I've had this huge problem. Because growing up here, Never heard this before, but when I got here 21 years ago, there was this thing that went through here that says, you got to take up your cross. And to me, that was a burden. Because when I look at a cross, I see a man with nail-pierced hands, and he says, you got to take up the cross. Well, I got freed of that when I saw an empty cross. Because the reality is, there's a burden there that I can't do. There's a burden there that continues to dog me. A, a, a burden there that says, oh, I, I've got to take up my cross and I've got to have a sour face and I've got to feel the blood. No, I've got to experience the cross. I gotta take the cross. I gotta know that that has saved and discharged my debt of sin. And know that it is finished. It is done. No longer, no longer to be bogged down with, oh, my sin is on the cross. My sin is on the cross. No. There was a resurrection power. You see, the empty cross means there's redemption. He bought us back. He redeemed us from this place that we were going. He says, you don't have to go down that path anymore. There's another way to go. But then, the empty tomb means power. And it's a power 
over sin. It's the victory that we can walk not through the temptation that continually dogs us by being able to say no. By being able to say, I will not walk in that. And the revelation of getting out of it. What dogs you? What sin dogs you? What what place in your life do you go, I just can't get victory over it. I just can't do it. Take some time and realize that God, that Jesus already died for that sin. No longer to repeat it. And then, take some time and start declaring the power of God in the resurrection life. You see, Jesus not only rose from the dead, but He raised us up with Him. He said, you are able to live a resurrected life. You are able to have a life not Dog by sin, but be able to live and declare unto what God has for you. And to reach the potential, the potential of what God has planned out for you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Let's start with verse 8. Verse 8, but instead it is you yourselves who wrong and defraud and that even your own brethren by so treating them. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, misled, neither the impure or immoral, nor idolater, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, swindlers, thieves, nor greedy graspers, nor drunken drunkards, nor foul-mouthed revilers and slanderers, nor extortioners and robbers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such some of you were once. He said, there's a whole list of things that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, live in this life with power. And he says, but don't you know you were once there? But, but you were washed clean, purified by a a complete atonement for sin and made free of the guilt of sin, and you were consecrated, set apart, hallowed, and you were justified Pronounce righteous by trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Holy Spirit of God. You were consecrated by the, by the cross, by the things that, that, that were done. Go on to verse 14. And God both raised the Lord to life and will also raise us by his power. Right there. He's going, you were dead to sin. Just as Christ was dead in his flesh, we are to die to our flesh. That's the example of dying to the flesh. And if you have a cross experience, 
Let me tell you, there are some people who have cross experiences, and I believe we all should, experientially. To be able to see the cross and know what it is. When I was young, I was at a church camp, and there was a man, Leonard Navarre. I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons, but this one meant so much to me because he showed me maybe what the nails were like that went into his hand. He showed me the crown of thorns. He showed me he had all these visual effects, and they were real to me. And I remember I went outside that little camp area, and I went to the back, and I I found this log, and I just began to weep uncontrollably uncontrollably and some friends of mine came and they said Arthur what's what's wrong what's the matter and I said I'm just so thankful it became so real to me that Jesus died for me I had an experiential place where I knew the cross was real and I just couldn't contain It wasn't a mental ascent. It was real. Jesus died on a cross. And I stayed there for a long, long time. Really did. In the denomination that I was a part of, they talked about it every Sunday. Every Sunday. And it is time for you to be saved. And I... And that's as far as they could get. People who have experiences want to live there. When Jesus went and was transfigured and Moses and Elijah showed up to him and Peter was there. And Peter was like, wow. He's like standing and Jesus is, is, is with them. And you know, you know what Peter says? He goes, we need, to be, we need to build three tents. And one tent's for you and one tent's for Moses and one tent's for Elijah. And Jesus looks at him and says, no. I don't want you to tell anybody about this. How can you not tell everybody that you see, I just saw the transfiguration of Jesus. If you look at that, at what happened there, in the Amplified Version, it says, Jesus was bleached beyond anything the earth could do. <laughs> That's white. It was so brilliant. It was so bright. Shouldn't we erect a memorial for that? We've done that so many times. We have brought about a crystallization and a fossilization of things that have happened in our lives, and then we stay there, we stick there. And he's going, no. I am far more than that. There is more for you to experience. There is more for you to have. There is more than where you're at right now. And I want you to grasp it. I want you to go for it. I don't want you to stand still in the place that you're at. Go for more. There is more.
Because I tell you what, if you stand still, you're not standing still. You're going backwards. You're not reaching for what God has for you. Cole just came upon that experience himself. He started talking to some guys. He started talking about some guys that were on fire for God. The place where he had been, he was the star. He was the big Christian. He was the light. He started hanging around these guys that were hungry for God. Cole comes home one day and says, i got to step up my game. These guys are hungry, man. These guys are studying every day. These guys want God in their lives. See, Cole said, I can't stay where I'm at. I've got to go for him. I've got to be with Jesus. He, he felt that little iron sharpening iron thing. Oh, man. Don't forsake the assembly. There's a reason for that. There's a purpose for that. That God is doing some things in your life that truly, truly shows the goodness of God. Turn to First Corinthians, Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five. Starting with verse fifteen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Starting with verse fifteen. And he died for all, so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and, were, and was raised again for their sake. Consequently, from now on we uh, estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Therefore, if any person... Now, you're talking about a resurrection life. Look at this verse. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old and previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away, has died. Behold, the flesh and the new has come. We've got to think of ourselves differently. We've got to look at ourselves. He's going, your sin nature is gone if you have accepted Jesus Christ. Your sin nature is gone. It is finished. It's been done on the cross. But there's a resurrected life that's happening in you right now. Everything that was dead, He's resurrecting new. He's resurrecting you in a new way of life, in a new way of thinking. If I would have gotten the news this past week that I, if I hadn't had this revelation, 
I'd have been done. I'd have been depressed. I would have I'd just gone, well, you know, I've tried. I tried, I tried, and I tried, and failed. But I've got to have hope in God. Not of my past, but my hope in God that he has a future for me. He has a future for my family. He has a future for my kids. And in that, I have a foundation of the power of God in my life. I have to look at the power of God in my life. Because by my flesh, I can do nothing. And apart from faith, everything else is sin. I'm telling you, even good things are not God. Unless they bring life. I was explaining a while ago. They were going, you know, we we weren't bad people. We just didn't have, we just weren't going in the right direction. We, We were good. I said, you know, that's the problem with good. You see, over here is the tree of good and evil. That's still the wrong tree. But over here is the tree of life. The tree of life where I want to dwell. The tree of life that has fruit that I may go further. What is your prayer for your spirituality? Man, I pray. <laughs> I pray that I have a spiritual prowess that is able to walk daily in discernment, in wisdom, to walk daily in what is going on around me, and to be able to take that on, not just be able to accept it. Where is your life? What is your prayer? Because I... I'm telling you, it's available. It's available to you. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 19. For even the whole creation, all nature, waits expectantly and longs earnestly for God's sons to be made known and waits for the revealing and the disclosing of their sonship. The whole world is groaning for your sonship, for your sonship, for your sonship, for your sonship to the true Heavenly Father. For your sonship, for your sonship. For knowing who the Father is. Sharon, a few weeks ago, came and she had a revelation. We know God the Father. We know God and we know that He's the Father. But God showed up to him, showed up to Sharon in a way that said, You really don't know who I am as your Father. This is who I am. And she had this experience 
and she just wept. And she says, I see God in such a different way because he revealed himself to her. Did she have a mental idea of who her father was in God? Yeah. We can't read without having some understanding and knowledge, but she had an experience of who the father is. Verse 20, for the creation nature was subjected to frailty, to futility, condemned, and to frustration. So because of some uh, intentional fault of its own, not because of some intentional fault of its own or on its part, but by the will of him who has subjected it, yet with hope. That nature, creation itself, will be set free from its bondage to decay and corruption and gain an entrance into the glorious freedom of God's children. Remember me talking about the cross? You got to take up your cross. I didn't see any freedom in that. I didn't. All I saw was uh, I saw God as a taskmaster. You got to do it this way, and you got to got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. And I thought, wow. Now, realizing that if I didn't do it, life would be worse. So that was my motivation. <laughs> then the reality that I could be free. That I could be free. It lifted a burden off my heart. It took the burden off my shoulders. I can be free. All I got to do is obey. All I got to do is accept. How do I rest in God? I rest in God by knowing that He's going to talk to me. And He's going to tell me. And the only obligation that I have is Him. friend of mine he uh he's kind of in a sticky situation where his parents uh, are divorced and he's having this celebration where the two parents are coming together and he's going please please pray for me <laughs> i said why i could tell he was like oh my gosh he goes i don't know how to keep them apart I don't, I don't know how to walk this out and keep this from clashing. And I said, you know, first of all, it made me mad. <laughs> I was like, these two people need to grow up <laughs> and not ruin their son's celebration. And I said, but it's not your duty to keep them civil. It's not. You're feeling obligated to one or the other. Stop doing that. And know that you're only obligated to Jesus Christ. That only hear Him. And you will be free of that, oh my gosh, what happens here? And oh my gosh, what if something happens here? And He, land, he, he lives in the land of what if. 
I hate the land of what if. Well, what if this happened? Well, what if that happened? Oh, my God, what if? I hate that land. In fact, the minute I hear what if, I I look at them and go, don't go there. Don't go there. Because you don't know if what if will ever happen. And you're worried about nothing. Well, what if? I said, calm yourself in God. And let God be God in this circumstance. And let him tell you what you need to do. And celebrate what God has done for you these last many years. Celebrate that. Don't let anything rob you. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. But boy, sometimes you want to put faces to those demons. He says, no. I said, follow God. Follow him. You hear him? You hear him well. Let him talk. Let him talk to you. Turn to Ephesians 2. Um, last week, uh, Craig was talking about how excited he got with Ephesians 2 and with Ephesians, just the whole book. And uh, I got in over here to Ephesians 2 and I went, no wonder he got so excited. Because this is some good stuff. This is some good meat. Remember when I told you I got some revelation? How many times have I read Ephesians? <laughs> Lots. And it was like I read it for the first time because I had different eyes. Things had been taken away. My blinders had been taken away. And I went, wow. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. And you, he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sin. He made you alive in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince and the power of the air. You were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit, which still consists constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who who go against the purpose of God. What does control mean? Cole's getting where I can't do this to him much, but give me your hand. Okay. Now, give me control of your arm, so I'm kind of a bit loose. Now, if I want it to go there, it goes there. If I want it to go here, and he has no power, unless he uses his muscle, but he has no power to keep me from doing that. Our sin nature, back before, you were controlled. You didn't know any better. It was just the way. We tend to live our lives by the example that we have been given. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, I would have raised Carmen Cole. 
and Caleb, exactly the way my mom and dad raised me. And I'll tell you what, that was not godly. It just wasn't. So I had to find a new thing. Well, if I'm going to give up the example of where I was, what do I do now? I don't know any other way. All of a sudden, Jesus Christ comes into my life. And he shows me, you were there, but now you can be this. So now, I'm going, Grandma comes to the house and says, ah, it's okay, Carmen, you can do that, it's okay. And I look at Carmen, and she goes, I know, Dad, we don't live our lives like that. We don't. We don't live by a bad example. We live our lives according to the Word of God. Now, I'm feeling kind of bad because I just talked bad about my mom. So, <clears throat> but you got to know she lived over here in the tree of good and evil. It was good. Forsaking the tree of life. Okay? Got to get that. Okay. Ephesians 2. Keep on going. Among these, you as well, as you once lived and conducted yourselves in the passion of our flesh, our behavior governed by the corrupt and sensual nature. Governed? That means told what to do. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. But God. Hallelujah for but God. So rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ Himself, the same new life with which He quickened Him for. It is by grace, His favor and mercy which you did not deserve, but you are saved, are saved, not were saved, are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. And He raised us up. He raised us up together with Him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with Him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Man, you should get excited about that because you no longer are on the cross. He's no longer on the cross. It's an empty cross, and it's an empty tomb. There's a resurrection, and there's a resurrection going on in your life right now to live according to what God has for you, and it is good, and His yoke is easy, and His burden is light. Oh, it's light. If you find yourself 
in a place where your burden is heavy and your yoke is, man, it is not easy. You need to sit down, evaluate, and ask God, what have I taken on that's not you? What have I taken on that's not the Lord? I'm telling you, people find their identity in what they do, and, and so they take on more, and then, then they take on more, and then they take on more because that's their identity. And it makes them feel good for a season. And then all of a sudden, it gets too broad. It gets too big. And then they're walking around going, Oh my, why this is, this is heavy. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he's going, I never told you to do it in the first place. But are you tired of it? Are you ready to take on my yoke, which is easy, and my burden, which is light? Are you ready to do that? Have you tired yourself out enough? God, I have. I really have. My identity can't be on what I'm good at. My identity can't be of what I think makes me look good. My identity can only be in Christ. And Paul says, all that other stuff, I'm I'm the son of the I'm the seventh son of the seventh son. I'm I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I am. And he says, All that is dumb. All that is poop compared to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. My humility is in Him. If I stop comparing myself to this guy, I'm going, yeah, look at that. I'm going to come up short, aren't I? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to come up a little short. Always will. There's, I tell Carl all the time, there's always someone smarter. There's always someone bigger. There's always someone smarter. So don't go there. Don't go comparing yourself. The only one you need to compare yourself is Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to be in my likeness, in my image. I want you to be there. And he says, I want to do everything to get you there. I want to do everything to get you there. a lot more I could say but I think you got the point I think you know who the Lord is I, I, I pray I prayed a long time before I ever got up here that y'all have a revelation of an empty cross that you have a revelation of a resurrected life and it's so much better than turning my eyes. Don't get me wrong. The cross is ugly, but beauty in what it means. The, the, the tomb is ugly, but it's beauty 
is in what it represents. Because I'm a new creature. I am a new creation. New. I got to live there. No longer living in the past. I press on to the upward calling of Jesus Christ in my life. Philippians. I press on. I go forward. I can't wait for more revelation. I can't wait not only for the revelation, but for the operation of that revelation in my life.